Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Good morning, everybody. My name is David Bruner. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you all this morning. As many of you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called At the Table, looking at meals that Jesus shared and that his disciples shared in the New Testament. Our scripture for today comes from Acts chapter 10. It covers the whole chapter, so it's a slightly longer passage. Uh, When I read it in a minute, there are going to be some parts when I summarize to help move the action along. Before I read it for you, let's pray together. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, we pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be present in the power of his Holy Spirit as we read Holy Scripture today. Help us to hear it, understand it, and take its message to heart in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture says this. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, For a certain Simon who is called Peter, he is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by all four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. And Peter feels God prompting him to go down and greet these men. And when he does, they tell him why Cornelius has sent them. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day, he got up and went with them. And some of the brothers and sisters from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. 
on Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshiped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I am only a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius replies by telling Peter about the vision he had and the angel. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited them to stay for several days. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, that's a long passage. There's a lot going on in it. I wanna try and boil it down to a single idea for you, a single main idea. Here it is. The Spirit invites the church to reach out across lines of difference. The Spirit invites the church to reach out across lines of difference. That's what we see in this passage, and that's what the Spirit does even today. When I talk about lines of difference, what do I mean? I mean all the differences that divided people in Jesus' age and our own age. Religious differences, cultural differences, economic differences, gender differences, you name it. The spirit in Acts and in our own age is always inviting the church to reach out with the gospel across those lines of difference. You see this throughout the book of Acts. 
In many ways, the book of Acts is the story of the way the good news continually busts through every social obstacle that people try to place in its path. In Acts chapter 8, Philip preaches the gospel to several Samaritans, people who were despised by first century Jews because of long-standing religious and cultural differences. A first century Palestinian Christian might have thought, okay, those Samaritans can't become Christians, but they do. Later on in the same chapter, Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch, a man who believes in the God of Israel, but who is an ethnic and cultural outsider to Judaism. Some passages of the Old Testament taught that eunuchs were ritually unclean. A first century Christian might have been forgiven for thinking, okay, that person can never become part of the Christian church, but he does. And then in Acts chapter 9, Paul becomes a Christian. Paul, who had previously spent much of his life drawing a very firm, very clear line of difference between Jews and Christians and enforcing it with great violence and anger and hatred. All of a sudden, Paul is a Christian. You could have been forgiven for looking at Paul and thinking to yourself, that guy's never going to become part of the Christian community, but he does. All that is in the background as we approach Acts 10, the passage I just read for you. The action shifts to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Same sort of person. In the eyes of first century Jews and Christians, Cornelius had two strikes against him. First, he was a Gentile, a pagan, not a Jew. And second, he was a Roman soldier. He worked for the despised Roman Empire, the organization that occupied and oppressed the Israelites. If you were a first century Jew or Christian, you would have been quite um, justified in looking at Cornelius and saying, right, that guy's never going to become part of our community. But once again, the Spirit is at work, leading the church to reach out with the gospel across the lines of difference, separating Peter and Cornelius. As the story opens, Cornelius is chilling in Caesarea, a city on the Mediterranean, and he has a vision where he sees an angel that tells him to go up the road to Joppa and find a man named Peter. Now, there's a couple things you have to know here. So first, Joppa is about a two-day journey from Caesarea, probably about an hour by car. There was no Uber back then, so we're talking a two-day journey. Second, um, Cornelius has no idea who Peter is. Um, we know, the readers of Acts know, because we've read, we've read our Bibles, but Cornelius has no idea. So he just has an angel, a spiritual experience that where he is told, hey, go find a guy named Peter. And the instructions are a little bit dubious, right? Peter is staying with another guy named Peter and he has this job and it's by the seaside. Go find him, Right? I, I imagine, you know, there could have been another version of this story where Cornelius sends three people up to Joppa to find Peter and they come back a week later really frustrated and they said, no, we couldn't find him. No, it didn't work out. Uh, get better directions from the angel next time. But it all works out, right? And Cornelius is faithful to what the angel tells him. Cornelius loves God. 
He wants to do what God is telling him to do. He's a faithful person, so he sends his men up the road. Peter is up in Joppa. He's having a vision at the same time. He sees a vision of all these various animals in a sheet, animals that would be regarded as ritually profane and unclean, according to the tenets of Jewish law, and he hears the voice of God urging him to eat them. And Peter demurs. He says, uh-uh, God, I'm not going to do that. That's not clean. But God keeps at him. And then as soon as that vision ends, Peter is puzzled and, and not sure what to do. The soldiers sent by Cornelius shows up. And he hears God saying, okay, go down to them, go with them, do what they tell you to do. And so the soldiers spend the night with Peter. The next day, they begin their journey back to Caesarea. Now remember, it's a two-day journey back to Caesarea. And if you want to understand this passage, you have to picture Peter sitting on a horse or on a donkey, slowly journeying back to Caesarea, wrestling with what he's doing, struggling with what he's doing, with the implications of what God has shown him. To eat impure foods was one thing, but to associate with impure people was another. Long-standing Jewish tradition forbade not only eating certain foods, but associating with those who were outside the community of faith. And as we saw, we've seen throughout this sermon series, those rules and regulations were not trivial. People got angry when you violated them. They had existed for centuries, and they were a, a crucial way that Jews held on to their collective identity. Peter had to be asking himself, am I crazy? Does God really want me to overturn our beloved tradition by including these Gentiles? People sometimes refer to this story as the conversion of Cornelius. The conversion of Cornelius. And that's certainly true. Cornelius is indeed converted. When Peter arrives, Cornelius falls down and worships him. And Peter says, no, 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 don't do that. Stand up. But, but let me tell you about the guy you should worship. And he tells him this amazing proclamation of the gospel all about Jesus. Cornelius and his whole family and friends, they all become Christians. So, the, the God that Cornelius reveres, that he's wanted to serve, he, he gets to know him in a, a much more powerful way. But to call this story the conversion of Cornelius is only half right. It's only half right because the reality is Peter is converted as well. Peter is converted as well. And you can see this because the very first thing Peter says when he arrives at Cornelius' house is this. He says, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. We can imagine a version of this story where Peter just says, right, therefore I'm not going to come in and talk to you. But he goes on. But God but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? This is a dramatic shift for a man like Peter. And then he shares the good news with Cornelius and Peter says something else that's so incredible. He says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. 
but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's stunning. Peter finally catches up with what the Spirit has been leading him to say all along, that the only condition to being part of the Christian community is faith in Jesus. Not adherence to the law, not being circumcised, not avoiding certain foods. It's just faith. That's it. And I absolutely love what happens next. (laughs) Peter's sermon is interrupted by the descent of the Holy Spirit. Speaking as a pastor, I would love it if the Holy Spirit were to interrupt one of my sermons. And I love verse 45. It says, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter, so all the other Jewish Christians like Peter, are stunned that the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. Peter and all of his friends are basically saying, whoa, whoa, God's given the Holy Spirit to them, to the pagans. Whoa. Previously in Acts, the pattern has been that you got baptized first, and then you had the Holy Spirit. But here in Acts 10, the pattern is reversed. First, the Spirit falls on the Gentiles, and only then are they baptized. Peter and the other Christians, in effect, are hurrying to catch up with the Holy Spirit, working to catch up and acknowledge and bless what the Spirit has already done. Let me tell you a little bit about why this matters. Sometimes people think of the church as a place that produces conformity, produces a dull sameness where everyone thinks alike and acts alike. Sometimes people think of the church as producing a kind of closed-mindedness, a point of view where no matter what questions are asked or what point of view is articulated, the answer is always the same. I know people who think this about the church, and you probably know some of them too. The book of Acts shows us that nothing could be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit is always inviting the church to reach out across lines of difference, to reach out to people who don't look like us, don't think like us, don't act like us, don't have the same experience in life or cultural background or religious beliefs. That's what the Spirit is doing today, just like it did 2,000 years ago. And as we do so, we often find, just like Peter and his friends, that the Holy Spirit is out ahead of us, surprising us with unexpected twists and turns, revealing to us more and more of Jesus' loving and redemptive purpose for the world. The difference between the real living God and a false idol is that only the real living God can surprise you, can astound you, can set you back on your heels and make you say, whoa, I wasn't expecting God to do that. Following the Spirit across lines of difference reveals that as we share the gospel with more and more people, our understanding of the gospel grows and deepens in surprising new ways. This is one of the reasons I'm such a passionate believer in missions and evangelism. Not simply because I want to serve those in need, although Lord knows I do. Not simply because I want more and more people to know and love Jesus, although Lord knows I do. It's because I believe the church 
stands desperately in need of the deepening and broadening that comes from following the Spirit across lines of difference. It's an experience one scholar called the continuing conversion of the church. The continuing conversion of the church. It's not only the people out there who don't know Jesus as Lord that need to be converted. It's the people in here, you and me, who already are at church, who already confess Jesus as Lord. We need to be converted again and again by engaging people who aren't like us with the gospel. That's what this text is about. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Here's one. A few years ago in 2020, right before the pandemic hit, I had the chance to go to Egypt. I was only there for uh, two weeks. I got about two decades worth of sermon illustrations out of that trip. It was amazing. Um, I spent some time with Christians in Egypt. Egypt is about 10% Christian. Many of us might not know that, um, but it is. It has a very ancient Christian community going all the way back to the apostles. And their experience in that part of the world is very different than ours here in America because they're a religious minority. And there are plenty of uh, Egyptians that respect their Christian neighbors that want to see them thrive and flourish. And there are some Egyptians that don't like Christians very much, that discriminate against them, that don't want them to preach the gospel or build churches or practice their faith. And for all that, the Egyptian Christians I met were optimistic. They were upbeat. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I came back from that trip just two weeks away and I called a friend of mine in ministry and I said, Gary, I am never gonna complain about anything ever again. Because, you know, sometimes in ministry you get into these trivial disagreements or you get annoyed about something that's not a big deal. No one was coming after me because of my faith. And it was so deeply humbling to be there. And I'm so grateful that the Spirit led me to step across that line of cultural difference to learn from my Egyptian brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one example. Here's another example. This one's a little closer to home. I would say the American church as a whole, particularly the white American church, has been greatly enriched by the distinctive perspective of African-American Christians. As you know, most African-Americans were brought to this country as slaves. And when they became Christians, they developed a particular way of reading the Bible and understanding their faith. They paid careful attention to the Old Testament and the story of the Exodus of God bringing enslaved people to freedom. And they came to understand that Christianity was not just about going to heaven when you die, although they certainly hoped for a heavenly home. They came to understand that Christianity was also about fighting for freedom and justice while you were alive. And that all the efforts of slave masters and slaveholders to convince them to the contrary were just not true. And that became a cornerstone of African-American Christianity, this tradition of social justice, of advocating for freedom and justice, of course, leading all the way up to the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s. That perspective, articulated from within the unique vantage point of people of color living in a prejudiced society, has enriched Christianity as a whole, and it's enriched the American church. 
I have been changed and countless white American Christians have been changed for the better by listening across that line of difference to African-American Christians. Here's one final example. I think the spirit is at work today, leading the church to cross the line of difference, separating straight people and members of the LGBT community. Now, I know this is a controversial issue. Some of you might not agree with me. Some of you might not be on board with what I'm about to say, but I'll speak for myself. In the last 50 years, I think the church has been in a similar position with regard to gay people that the church of the first century was in with regard to Gentiles. Just like many Jewish Christians were initially suspicious of Gentiles, seeing them as ritually impure or morally suspect, so too many Christians over the last few decades were at least initially suspicious of gay and lesbian folks. And I would say in both cases, the church has been surprised to find the Holy Spirit already at work on the other side of that line of difference. I think the dramatic shift in our culture we've seen about LGBT folks over the last 30 or 40 years has a lot of causes, but certainly one crucial cause has been the experience of ordinary straight Christians who have gotten to know gay and lesbian Christians and discovered in them the fruits of the Spirit. People who wanna follow Jesus, people who are committed to their faith, people who love the Lord, and want to live decent and honorable lives. Some of you have heard me talk here at church about my friend Dale Suderman. He was a friend and mentor of mine when I was much younger. Um, he played an absolutely crucial role in helping me discern and respond to my call to ministry. I probably wouldn't be standing up here in front of you today if it weren't for him. I remember sitting in his living room of his little shabby apartment on the west side of Chicago and hearing him say, you know, Dave, I think God could even use a schmuck like you to help build his kingdom. And it was entirely typical of Dale that he was able to encourage me to answer God's call while also mildly roasting me. I'll be forever grateful for that. But Dale was gay. He dealt with that his whole life. Um, and I was so grateful, I am so grateful to God that I was able to know him and walk with him in those years and that the Spirit gave me the opportunity to engage with him across the many lines of difference separating us, gay and straight, old and young, and many others. I was blessed by knowing him. So the Spirit is leading the church to reach out across lines of difference. Spirit's leading the church to reach out across lines of difference. And when we do, the people on the other side of that line will be changed and blessed, and so will we. So in conclusion, I just wanna say, pray. Pray. Ask the Spirit to help you reach out across lines of difference, and ask the Spirit to help us do that faithfully at Knox. Ask the Spirit to make you attentive to those nudges like we talked about last week, those invitations to reach out. And then just do it. Invite someone out for coffee, walk across the room and introduce yourself, buy someone a beer and ask them about their spiritual journey. Sometimes nothing will happen, but sometimes you'll find the spirit has been there ahead of you and you'll both be changed. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.